Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to episode 238. I think we're on now of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. Uh, your twice weekly cannonball dive bomb into the ocean that is modern current affairs, news, politics, dystopia, and all the other nouns and stuff that I normally say there. How are we doing? What's going on, peeps? It is that weird, strange bit, isn't it? In between Christmas and New Year. Nobody really knows what this period should be called. Um, I don't know, like the, the in-betweeny bit, uh, purgatory-mus. I, like, it's usually the bit, like, historically, when you think back of what Christmas used to be like when you were a child, it's that horrible bit where you, like, you've got your new toys... But the immediate, like, excitement and novelty is kind of worn off of it all. And now you're just stuck living at someone else's house, you know, staying at your Uncle Paul's because your parents want to stick around for New Year's. And, you know, or like in my case, it was going over to my dad and stepmoms. And then they would keep us there for a few days and we would just be like, I, I want to go home. <laughs> Just want to go back and like play with my friends? No, no, no. You're stuck here, right? Yeah. Why? Why are we stuck here? Because it's Christmas, so it's it's good. It's a fun time to be all together with family. Is it though? Is it? Are we actually like if we all sit down and honestly ask ourselves the uncomfortable question, Dad? Are we? Are any of us having fun right now? No, we're not, are we? So yeah, Merry Christmas to you too, Dad. Um, don't know where that came from. A lot of unresolved tension and aggression there, clearly. Um, anyway, I hope you've all had a, uh, a Merry Christmas and I hope that you're looking forward to New Year. And indeed, the surprises, wonders, hope and optimism that 2024 will no doubt deliver to us. Uh, before we get into it, though, um, I just want to quickly give a shout out to my first YouTube community like, which is like, that's YouTube's version of Patreon, right? YouTube community. Like, if you go to the video of this, or if, you know, if you go and watch a punk politics video or whatever, uh, you'll see a little join button there. And I'm trying to sort of like, so I've got my Patreon, and then I thought, because I do so much stuff on YouTube now, I can, you know, maybe grow a little community there. And I got my first member the other day, somebody called Christine Cash. So what's up, Christine? How you doing? Um... Give me a follow and it, like a tag, tag me on something so I can DM you like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. And then I can send you like the link to the Discord chat. And I suppose this is as good a time as any to promote the Patreon uh, or indeed the YouTube community where if you jump on, it starts at like, I think it's four pounds a month in YouTube. So it's like a pound cheaper uh, and you start to get access based on what tier you join. So you can do like £4 a month or £8 a month. And then it sort of goes up from that. Like, you don't need to worry about anything more expensive than that. It's like anything more than that's ridiculous. But um, And it's the same on Patreon. It's like £3, £5, £10. And, uh, and then there's a ludicrous tier on there, which frankly is only forgivable if sarcastic. <laughs> it's the £50 tier. I told Danny Price about it. I was like, uh, and then I've got a £50 tier. And he was like, you, you what? £50? Delusional aid. Um, but here's, here's my thought behind it. I was like, look, 
people out there with money can still be liberal and left-leaning. You know, if you don't believe that, you buy into the whole politics of envy stuff, don't you? You believe that everyone that's left of centre is broke and jealous. But I promise you there are wealthy left of centre people out there and they do like to support people who voice the things that maybe they can't say if they're like business leaders, pop stars, footballers, BBC journalists, <laughs> whoever's prohibited from actually speaking their mind in a sort of left-leaning sensibility kind of fashion. They would like to, you know, support creators, podcast hosts, YouTubers, uh, so that they can they can get the word out for them by proxy. Um, so on that basis, I yeah, I put a, a 50 pound tier up there. Um, anyway, right, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, loads going on at the moment. Uh, and I want to I want to sort of delve into it. I know we're sort of midweek through Christmas and New Year. And I did like I thought to myself, I'm going to have a break. I'm just going to clock out of the content. I'm just going to, you know, forget booge, forget the podcast, forget all the punk politics stuff. I'm just going to clock out and I'm going to spend time with my family, guys. And then I spent time with my family and I was like, you know what, I, ne I need a break. So um, here I am out in the cabin. Um, but yes, let's let's get into it. Uh, my favourite story. Uh, no surprises in guessing this one. Uh, new story broke this morning that Boris Johnson. Right. And forgive me if you you might have seen the YouTube video about this uh, or you uh, I wrote a tweet thread about it. And it sort of blew up a bit. Um but basically, when Boris Johnson was prime minister, he was navigating his way through uh, myriad scandals. Right. We all know this. Uh, but specifically, he was just coming back after the Christmas break, which itself followed the Owen Patterson uh, debacle. So Owen Patterson got suspended for lobbying egregiously. Uh, the committee that were looking into it said they'd never seen such a egregious example of lobbying outside the parameters of the ministerial code and, and all that business. They suspended him. Boris Johnson stepped in and said, well, actually, no, I'm going to try to disband the standards committee rather than have this guy have a punishment. It was like a mediocre punishment. He was supposed to be suspended for like eight days or five days or something. But just because of the... You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I think Patterson had been a whip or a chief whip or a deputy chief whip. It's all very CCHQE, all very jobs for old boys. Because of that relationship, Johnson stepped in and said, I'll just get rid of the, the standards committee. And because of the backlash that that attracted. Then in conjunction with Partygate, Boris Johnson was then desperate to recapture the narrative and so he and Jacob Rees-Mogg dreamt up this idea that they would revert the UK back to imperial measures, guys. <laughs> Thinking outside the box. Never let it be said that the Tories are out of ideas, that they lack vision, that they don't know, they don't come up with any solutions to any of the problems that we as a country face. Absolutely they do. When you think of all the all the core pillars of this show that we often touch on climate change, scarcity of fossil fuels, nuclear wars, 
What's the other one? I feel like I'm forgetting one now. Um, uh, but whatever it is, like all of these lengthy, in-depth challenges that we face. Well, here's a, here's a solution that these guys came up with. Let's let's get back to imperial measurements. Yeah, that's uh that's that's a thing, isn't it? <laughs> And of course, you know, this attracted a lot of ridicule at the time because it was, I think, not long after or not long before they were talking about bringing in blue passports. And people like me and probably people like you, if you listen to this show, were, I think, rightly mocking it. We were like, you know, all this talk about 350 million a week for the NHS, all this talk about sunlit uplands and there will be no downsides, just considerable upsides. And we hold all the cards, all of the usual cliches that get wheeled out on... Uh, on every other Brexit critical show. Uh, we were all mocking this because it was like, really? You know, blue passports and imperial measurements. That's Is that what we're doing? That's the upside, is it? Great. Is there some way we can leave the EU twice? Because this is astounding. So so we were mocking about then. Anyway, the, the reason that this is now sort of um, bubbled up to the fore once more is because the consultation that Boris Johnson um, enacted, approved, uh, pursued, uh, has now come to fruition. It's come to its completion stages. Um, and I wrote this big, long tweet thread about it this morning, about how insulting this whole episode has been. Like, if you wanted a perfect example uh, of Tory corruption of negligence, of incompetence, of media ma manipulation. You could not dream of a better example than this shame <laughs> of conservative governance. So I'm just going to quickly touch on it again now. And I, again, I apologise if you follow me on YouTube and you've already seen the video or you follow me on Twitter and you've read through the, the tweet thread this morning. Um... Uh, then there's going to be an element of duplication here. However, in my defense, I've only got one brain, all right? <laughs> and it's very, very tired. My little girl wakes me up at like 3, 4 a.m. some mornings. One of those mornings was today. I'm very, I, I don't have the capacity or intellectual bandwidth right now to dream up limitless talking points. Um, so... So, yeah, so the, the main crux of this story is that Boris Johnson was drenched in scandal, desperately needed to move the narrative on, move the news cycle on. And so he and Jacob Rees-Mogg rehashed this idea that Jacob Rees-Mogg had even attempted to implement in a modest way uh, a couple of years before. He'd already told his staff he just wanted metric talk in official communications, in emails around his team and two other teams, only speak in metric. Um and so then, yeah, so he and Johnson decided to uh, explore this new idea. So they greenlit um, this consultancy to, to look into it. And all of industry and all of the journalists, all of the talking heads, you know, e everyone with a brain was basically saying this is not necessary. Nobody's asking for it. It's going to be awkward. There's going to be no real material benefit to it. What problem is this solving? And it you know, did what it always, these things always do is, you know, they brief them out to the lobby journalists. The lobby journalists send them on to their producers. Their producers and editors 
decide, oh, this this is an amazing topic of conversation. Absolutely, yeah, we should we should put this at the top of the show. It's so amazing. I'm I'm invested in this emotionally. Let's talk about imperial measurements. Um, chop my keys on the floor. Um, so. So then they do, you know, their radio phone-ins and they write their opinion pieces. And, and honestly, I was researching this earlier. The Times, The Telegraph, The Mail, The Express, Jeremy Vine, LBC, Talk TV, all of the British media outlets all just jump on it. Led up the garden path, led right up to the top of the hill. It's like Boris Johnson himself is saying, listen, listen, guys, it's a very awkward uh, period for me uh, today um, and this week. In fact, for the last six months, it's been incredibly awkward. Um, the, the Tory poll lead just completely collapsed after Patterson and, and party gate isn't helping. I desperately need to move on. So sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. Here is some magic dust and go away. Abracadabra. Change the front pages to something I decide. And off they went. They just took that baton off him and went running with it. And all of them should hold up their hands today as this consultancy uh, thing came through to conclusion stages and basically said, yeah, we asked industry, we asked all the big retailers, we asked logistics companies, we asked like this, that. Yeah, 99% of respondents said that they're fine with metric. They didn't want to move on from metric. It's like 99%. 99! Near 100% of respondents replied to the government consultants and said, yeah, um, I don't really know why you're asking us this. I mean, like, we told government, we told journalists, we tweeted about it, we told our institutional bodies. We told, I mean, like, literally nobody has ever wanted imperial measurements back <laughs> like and look just to join the dots for you if you want a little bit of context here it is basically as simple as the whole world trades in metric so if we reverted to imperial we would be like do you want to buy this yard of drawing pins you know <laughs> do you want to buy these like three ounces of this thing like and they'd be like how much what no no i don't know what you're talking about we're going to buy them from this guy over here instead because he speaks sense <laughs> he's living in the real world with the terminology that this person over here uses that the rest of the world well i don't know what you're using imperial what so yeah that's i think this has been a really interesting exercise in the relationship between journalists if you can still call them that i don't know what the imperial term for what they do should be but <laughs> i don't think i don't feel comfortable calling them journalists anymore these are not journalists these people um and i don't mean to you know throw shade on anyone that people that i know may work with you know or people i may have ended up at the same show busy party as ooh la la um you know, because a lot of these people, they're just handed notes by their producers and they go, oh, OK, we're talking about inheritance tax today, are we? OK, well, uh, let me just quickly think of my look. Right. Yes. Good morning, guys. Today we're talking about inheritance tax. Your calls after nine o'clock. Like, that's fine. I understand there's a sort of hierarchy and sometimes these talking points are fed to certain people. I'm just saying industrially, <laughs> the journalism sphere, if you like, overlapping with the political sphere 
And people like Boris Johnson and specifically CCHQ bleeding out these briefs and manipulating what is then discussed and what becomes the story of the day in place of the scandal and shame that we should be talking about, that whole thing is fucking disgusting. It really is. Not the people who get fed the talking points on their radio phone-in shows. Not even, to some extent, the people who write the articles that end up on the front cover of The Times, even, which I would count as a fairly credible newspaper. But not even the journalists who, who write the stuff on the front. It's the editors and the producers that I'm like, why do you play this game? <laughs> why is it when somebody from CCHQ phones up the editor or sub-editor or political editor of a publication like The Times, why do they just play the game with them? <laughs> Why didn't that call? That call should have gone like this, right? It should have gone like, like, yes, hello, yeah, hi. Um, it's um, it's Barna, Barnaby uh, Quantock the Third from CCHQ. Yeah, uh, is that is that Donald? Yes, yeah, it is. Right, I've oh, I've got a hell of a story for you, Donald. You're going to thank me uh, later for this one. It's, this is a hell of a scoop. Uh, Prime Minister Johnson is considering bringing back imperial measurements. Yeah, for the, for the Queen's Jubilee. You're not going to believe it, right? Right, OK. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, what, what's happening with Partygate? Right, uh, well, I, I didn't really... I didn't want to call and, and talk about Partygate. Right, OK. Well, what's happening with, like, Patterson and, and your polling? I, don't, why are you changing the subject? We're, we're talking about imperial measurements. It's a return to a simpler time, to a good old blighty back when Britain was great again. Imperial measurements, yeah! I reckon that's how the call went. Or at least maybe how it should have gone. I don't know. Like it, I'm, I'm sort of losing my thread here a little bit, guys. I'm sort of d deciding if it's like how the, how the call should have gone or how it did go. Is that how it went? I guess my point here is, at what point does that editor push back and say, why aren't we talking about... Or even if they don't want to push back on like Partygate or Pincher or whatever the scandal is of that week... Why don't they just say, okay, you want to return to imperial measurements? Why? It's just a really simple question. Why do you want to do this? Well, it's just, um, you know, it's all about our Brexit freedoms. It's all about taking back control. What does that actually mean? Why do you want to do this? Well, it, it's, um, it's a, so, you know, sovereignty. It's a return. Now we're outside of the EU. We can make these laws for ourselves. Right. But why? What material benefit are you hoping to glean from changing this from yards into this thing over. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, changing from centimetres to yards. You can tell I have, I've been up since 3am, can't you? Um, anyway, so, so yeah, and, and I was saying in the thread earlier, like, I mean, the cost of these consultations, guys. I mean, there is a reason that uh, the opposition... And that even people like Jacob Rees-Mogg himself have such a bee in their bonnet about, like, the blob and about unaccountable, ambiguous figures and uh, the civil service being bloated and civil service overspend. Like, I mean, it's, you know, the money that Deloitte, KPMG, PwC, the money that these people make 
out of supporting an inquiry or uh, gathering feedback for a consultation like this. It is like it's in the millions. And it just really, I don't know, it, it bothers me because it's like, how can you stand there behind a podium in the House of Commons and say there's not enough money for X or that we've run out of money and there's no money for Y. We can't look after these people or this vulnerable community. I'm sorry, I'd love to do that. I, look, we all want to be nice, caring people, but just, there's just no money. There's no such thing as a magic money tree, people. You know, how can they say that one minute and then the next minute it's like, yeah, sign off 30 million. 30 million for this policy I've just dreamt up specifically to move the new cycle on for no other reason. Nobody's asking for it. No material benefit. Just 30 million. Just like, and even after Boris Johnson's gone, <laughs> they're still they're still gathering feedback, doing the analysis. Yeah, we better finish this consultation. This is important, guys. We really need to ascertain and establish what the truth behind this is and get to get to an accurate representation of what the benefits of returning to imperial measures are. So it's credible. So we can go back to Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's since been promoted to Lord. I think he's a Lord, isn't he? Or is he OBE? He's, he's something. Knight of the Realm, for some reason. That's coming leaping to the front of my mind. Anyway, he's, he's he got a peerage, right? So, yeah, they spend they spend millions on these things. And it's just, you know, floor-jawing to then see them say there's no money for the asylum seekers or there's no money for uh, universal credit adjustments or, you know, you, you pick the, the public's uh, uh, replacement of rack in schools. Uh, one of the, just one new hospital of the 40 that they promised. Um, you know, when, when they blow this money so haphazardly on nothing <laughs> there's nothing to show for this whatsoever and i don't suppose we should be surprised really i mean this is boris johnson isn't it it's uh you know he's shown time and again that he will happily blow public money on vanity projects from the garden bridge to the water cannons to most famously brexit i suppose anyway I mean, I don't know, guys. Like, what, what kind of, what sort of precedent does this set, you know, for a British Prime Minister? Does this just mean, like, any time there's a scandal, any time they get themselves in some sort of trouble that they would rather the new cycle moved on from, they just pluck some sort of weird nostalgic thing out of the past that they think the plebby boomers would jump on board with? You know, and then despite the fact that anyone from that industry is like, no, no, we, we don't want this. And all of the polling is against it, by the way. They just go, yeah, we're going to we're going to see how this works out. Yeah, this is what we're exploring now. <laughs> it's like, like, why, why, why would you be exploring that thing? Well, because this is, yeah, it's just a it's just an idea that I had. I'm going to get a consultation underway. I mean, seriously, right, Rishi, all, all we said is that we've got Polaroids of you enjoying yourself with livestock that's, that's all we said we haven't said that you're up to anything up to no goods we're just saying it's interesting they're just interesting pictures and would you like to comment well no, let me tell you about this this new idea that i've, I've literally just come up with uh, i'm gonna launch a consultation to see if we can dig up dead boomers 
who are more likely to vote Conservative, and then we'll, we'll allow their most close relatives to vote on their behalf, drag the corpse down to the voting booth, and you can vote on your father's behalf. Because he's sort of technically there. It is, it'd be an honourable thing for you to do. You know, it's, it's, it's not fair that his life was taken from him before he had a chance to vote in this last, next general election. So how, how about that? Well, I think that sounds like pure insanity, Mr Suno. Well, I mean, it, it might be insanity. It might not make any sense whatsoever. But that is why we are putting it into consultation phase. You are out of your mind. Well, that may be. But it's, it's not for you to say. Pippa Crera of The Guardian. Is it? It's down to these consultants. Are you sure you got money? Are you sure you got the cash for it? I mean, it sounds like the exchequer is a little bit hard up. Are you sure you got money to blow on more consultations? Especially after the inquiry. I mean, that wasn't cheap. Well, we, 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 we do now. I've just abracadabra'd it out of nowhere. Always got money for consultants. Absolutely we do. Right, but I mean, Rish... Rish, just, just come here a second, mate. Like, you understand that digging up dead Tory voters and dragging them down to the voting booths like it's, you know, 28 days later or some shit. Like, you understand how insane and gross that is just so you could dig yourself out of whatever this scandal is with the Polaroids and the lifestyle. Yeah, what Yes, I understand that it looks bad, but also just hear me out, because actually, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. Really? Not that bad? I mean, it sounds it sounds horrendous. I'm going to be... No, no, I, I'm saying, in the grand scheme of things, Pippa, it's... <laughs> is it still Pippa? <laughs> Apparently. In the grand scheme of things, Pippa, I'm just saying, in context, it's not... How, how do you mean? How do you mean in context and in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad? It sounds horrific. I'm, I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, when I reintroduce child labour, oh, my God, and debtor prisons, oh, Christ, in the grand scheme, I mean, it's, it doesn't look that bad, right? Jesus Christ, Sunak. This is like the very definition of a dead cat, really, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, they they slam the dead cat on the table. Then everyone's talking about the dead cat rather than the thing that was actually being discussed at the dinner party is where the expression comes from, I gather. You know, and here we are talking about imperial measurements. And, uh, you know, or sticking with metric, as the case is now, you know, because the consultation has finished. Um, you know, rather than whatever the scandal was that week. And indeed, in this sort of very exaggerated example of Sunak uh, reanimating Tory corpses, you know, he would be talking about that rather than his scandal. And it's, you know, that's the mechanism that they rely on, is that we're all so dim and so easily distracted that, yes, when somebody says, oh, imperial and metric, we go, oh, you say what about imperial? He said about ounces, ounces and blue passports. Good boy. Yeah, that's it. Ounces and blue passports. Here, here have a cookie. Have a cookie. Off you go, you little terror. Um, and you know what? Here's, here's the really sad thing. They're right. People are easily distracted. I mean, the general public I've completely lost face with, face, faith with even, uh, Journalists, I still hold some sort of smidgen of hope that at some point in a sort of lobby journalist 
context, somebody might just hold up their hand and go like, nah, sorry, not buying this. Let's go back to the story that we were actually talking about. <laughs> the thing you're trying to cover up. Or, or as I said, like, let's talk about why this policy that you're trying to now sell to us, we're trying to sort of distract us with why this won't work. Like, I, I have some faith that on a good day, Robert Peston might just hold up his hand and go, oh, my God, guys, I think, I think I've just had a thought. I've just had a thought, guys. I can't believe it. I don't know. I thought in, in my head, in, in my head, I've had a thought. Then Laura Koonsberg looks over and goes, what, what did you think, Robert? What, what was the thought? Tell us. No, it's, it's gone. It's gone, Laura. It's gone. I have some hope that that moment will happen at some point. One day, Peston will have a thought. Rather than, you know, witlessly regurgitate lines fed to him through an exorcism being held in CCHQ. Like, that is honestly the relationship that I think... That's what's happening. That's the transaction. Is somewhere in CCHQ, there is a Ouija board. <laughs> and there's Greg Hands. And there's Oliver Dowden. And there's Rishi Sunag. And there's, there's a bunch of other people like that. And they're just moving the things around. And then they conduct this as some sort of seance. And, you know, ghastly being. And so, but then, like, it speaks in tongues through Peston. And so then Peston, Peston's on his late night at ITV show or he's presenting a two camera bit for the IT, like ITN News or something. Now we go live to our political editor, Robert Peston, and he just regurgitates the stuff that's coming to him through the exorcism. Well, it, I think that um, uh, herd immunity is a good idea. Oh, great one. Good one, Rob. Excellent. You are that's just that alone is worth your £250,000 salary. Fantastic crit critical thought there. Um, anyway, let's let's move on. I don't want to spend the whole thing, you know, regurgitating. You know, myself. It's like I'm I'm speaking in tongues of an exorcism that's just my YouTube account from the video that I did earlier. Uh, so let's move on. Let's go back to the news. Let's see what else is happening, guys. So, one thing that caught my eye earlier uh, when I was looking at Sky News, like occasionally I'll go through like their analysis and comment section. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of comment sections anymore. And I don't mean like comments as in like you and me comment beneath an article. I mean like, you know, opinion pages. Um, I think I feel like the Telegraph, the Mail, to some extent, the Guardian, like a lot of these places have just soiled the whole idea of paid for pundits, opinionisters, who invariably are proven wrong, but then continue <laughs> On this gravy train of being paid to share their thoughts again and again. I mean, take Daniel Hannan, for example. Here is a guy who, at the height of the Brexit campaigning, uh, is there on TV, still on a, a frequently reshared video now. He says, absolutely no one is suggesting that we leave the single market. Like that. Here is a guy who said that. No one's suggesting that we leave the single market. Here is a guy who said uh, that, what was it he said? He predicted like the first like two years after Brexit or five years after Brexit was going to be like a roaring success, you know, and the pound had strengthened and we'd be in a much better position economically and 
He like laid out all of the, it was like this sort of fan fiction projection of where he anticipated the UK would be following the Brexit vote. And it, it, it reads like satire now. Like it's so <laughs> to the wall insane and a juxtaposition to where we are. Uh, it's just like you'd feel cruel even pointing it out to him. Do you know what I mean? Like when some, it's a bit like when you argue with your wife or your husband and they say something that you know is wrong or they they like accuse you of doing like and then you it, it's like you know that they're so wrong that you almost dread the blowback and embarrassment when you point it out to them. You know, am I making sense? It's like they'll say they'll say, um, why was this milk left out like that? And then you you just go. I don't know, like you, you left it out last night when you made a tea. You know, it's like, you know that they're at fault and then they've got nowhere to go. Like, and you, you feel bad for them. <laughs> and you literally say it like that. You're like, you feel sorry for them. You're like, I don't know, you left it out. for the It's like, that's the same feeling I get whenever Daniel Hannan pops up in the Telegraph or as a talking head now. I'm just like, God, I feel bad. Like my, my cringe is so strong. For Daniel Hannan, that I feel I, like it's it wouldn't be fair to show him the video of himself saying nobody's threatening the place of the single market and that Brexit is going to be amazing. It's just it you know there's no sport in it. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, so opinion pages, you know, comment sections, I'm not a massive fan of. However, on Sky News, I do occasionally enjoy uh, an Adam Bolton. Uh, piece and this is one of those uh it's uh adam bolton things may be bad but there are reasons to be cheerful in 2024 to which i reply humbly oh yeah <laughs> well let's talk about that shall we <laughs> Reg regular viewers regular listeners will know that uh you know the vibe of this show is very much people presenting their nicely uh, prepared, seeded, watered gardens of flowers to me and me stamping on those flowers. Uh, me wrapping my darkness around your light. Um, he says, if you think this has been a pretty tough year, you're not alone. The annual global advisor survey conducted around the world by Ipsos records that the majority of us, 53%, think 2023 has been a bad year for us and our family. Well, yes. I don't know how you guys have done. How you guys have fared, dear listeners. Uh, I remortgaged in such a fashion that it robbed me of about £900 a month. And the only reason that we still have our family home is because family itself stepped in to plug the gap. Um, has absolutely nothing to do with any support, comfort or compassion from government. <laughs> We just narrowly avoided uh, becoming homeless or having to move back in with family because basically, yeah, family stepped in where government failed. Anyway, this isn't about me. This is about, uh, you know, reasons for us to be cheerful, right? In 2024. Um, Bolton says, let's face it, things haven't gone well abroad or at home in 2023. The second year of war in Ukraine has been joined by the vicious conflagration in the seemingly intractable confrontation between Palestinians and Israelis. Um, things may be bad, but we seem to think that things have improved a little bit over the last 12 months. And we're looking forward to them getting better in 2024. Really, though, are we really, Adam? 
Um, it says Great Britain comes 26th out of the 35 nations picked out with 64% optimistic that 2024 will be a better year for me than 2023. <laughs> like that, I, that doesn't mean that there's... That's not a reason to be cheerful. That's evidence that you are delusional. <laughs> All that tells me is like 64% of the UK are delusional, Adam. Six Over half of the UK are not currently inhabiting reality. I think that what that tells you is that there is like because I often think like Britain is quite a depressive country, you know, blitz spirit, gallows humor. We do look at our situation. We hold our hands up and go, yeah, I guess I mean, we are a bit shit, you know, there is an element of that to the British psyche, I think. So it's somewhat refreshing to hear that over half of the UK are optimistic. But I would suggest playfully, if I may, that that is more reflective of how bad 2023 has been. And that people are coming out of 2023 and they go like, oh, God, that was that was rough. That was rough. The remortgage, terrible. Gaza, Palestine, terrible. Uh, the economy, awful. There's shit in the river down the road. This has happened. That's how, There's a storm battering my house right now. But I'm sure, I'm positive, if I really cross my fingers, <laughs> pray to Jesus, Muhammad and Buddha and Tom Cruise, 2024, I hope it will be better. That's what that is reflective of. <laughs> 2024 must be better, guys. Um rather than it being any evidence that it actually will be. Um, he says, there are still major financial worries, though here the gloom lifted slightly to its lowest since the end of 2021. Um, economic optimism index is still pessimistic at minus 28, though. <laughs> right, so it's at its lowest level since the end of 2021, but it's still pretty bad. It's still minus 28. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gleaning much or many reasons to be cheerful here, Mr. Bolton. I respect you as a journalist. I'm sure we're going to get to the detail very shortly. Um, but this is, I'm not, you know, this is not convincing me. Only 22% of people think the economy will improve in the next year. But <laughs> I can't even, this is like, is he taking the piss? Is he trolling a little bit? He's like, only 22% of people think the economy will improve in the next year. But that is up plus three from last month. 22%. <laughs> so a fifth of people think the economy will improve in the next year, which is interesting, isn't it? Because that's, I would put them, that's delusional as well. But over half expect next year to be better than this year. But of that half... If it's half, if if it's twenty percent of a hundred, then it would be ten percent of half. So of that half, ten percent uh, think the economy will improve in the next year. So, it, like, are they expecting the economy to be bad, but the overall year to be good? You know, like they're, they're going to lose their job, but on the plus side, it'll be a better year. How exactly? The weather's been nicer. You know, <laughs> global warming kicked in. Finally, we had a couple of months of 25 degrees. Right. How, how's your job? That's terrible. Yeah. And uh, my pension tanked in another crash. My house is halved in value. Uh, neither of my kids have got jobs. Food inflation is through the roof. Right. OK. So, <laughs> so 
So, so economically, you're toast. You're homeless. You're broke. You're starving. But the the weather's good. Is is that what I'm? Yeah, yeah. That's um. I mean, I'm homeless. I'm living in a park. But on the plus side, it's been really clement. <laughs> I've caught a tan. I don't know. Um, let's let's continue. Um. A major factor behind the gradual return in confidence may be that people feel less powerless. Interesting read on things. Many have the opportunity to make changes next year. More people than ever, around 4 billion globally, will have the chance to take part in elections next year in more than 70 countries. Now, I will just say this, right? There is actually a point there. I'm being a little bit snarky, but um, I suppose the point is that there... It's not necessarily that people feel like they are not powerless, like they have some power to affect change. I think it's maybe people feel a bit more uh, buoyed that because there are these elections, that things might change. Like, I don't feel especially powerful. Um, you know, with all the voter dis disenfranchisement, uh, the criminalisation of protest... Um, like all the myriad changes that the conservatives have tried to bring in to stop people from voting or make it harder for them to vote um, and all the press manipulation that we were talking about earlier uh, I don't feel particularly powerful within the electorate however I do you know in my lesser moments I have felt something vaguely resembling hope that things might get a little bit better once the Tories are out and maybe it's a similar thing to that is what um is what Adam Bolton is is sort of channeling here. So, uh, not all of these elections hold out the possibility of regime change. Things could uh, that could happen in GEs in the US on the fifth of November and in the UK sometime next year, and not the last possible date in January twenty twenty five, according to the Prime Minister. Um, there are also general or presidential elections in South Korea, South Africa, Pakistan, India, and Russia, in descending order of those. Uh, likely to be fair, says Adam Bolton. Yes, I mean, Russia's like right at the end. Like, it's not... Come on, we we need to stop referring to Russian elections as elections. Like, I mean, it's... Like, they're parades, is all they are. You know, you might... He might print off a load of ballots. He might go on TV and then have a quote-unquote debate. But, I mean, like, we all know who's going to win. Don't we? We know there's no mystery to it. I mean, what like do, does Russia even have an equivalent of Betfair politics? You know, what does Russia's Betfair politics? What are the odds on Putin winning the next election in Russia's Betfair ski politics ski? You know, that would be a weird thing if he had like basically mandated whoever that equivalent is over there. Like, yeah, well, you've got to, you've got to make it look like there's a chance that I might get voted out. Yeah, but why? Because I don't want people knowing that it's absolutely cast iron that I'm going to get in. Yeah, but then we're going to lose money. I don't care. Here are the odds. Write them on the board. Um, Let's continue. We'll do a little bit more and then and then we'll wrap up, I think, guys. Um, it says the British Prime Minister has not yet delivered his pledge to stop the boats, but he can claim credit for reducing the number crossing the channel by a third. Wow. Channel boats are down 33 percent, apparently. 
largely through increased cooperation with Albania and France, <laughs> rather than the expensive and stimmy deportation to Rwanda policy. Yeah, it's like this is going to be one of those sort of hollow victories for him, isn't it? Because even if he gets the boats down, which it sounds like the number of crossings are uh, decreasing, he can't celebrate Rwanda as a deterrent when no planes have gone there, when it's still classed as internationally, like against international law, uh, when it hasn't even become law yet, right? Like you can't claim that Rwanda is the reason for doing it. And then at the same, like the opposition can then hold up the increased cooperation with France and Albania. Like, well, look, this is what happens when you're more closely aligned with Europe. So what's the lesson here, Rish? What, le what are you going to glean from this? We should work closer with Europe. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You got there in the end. I was holding out for you. I knew you'd, you'd get there. It's all right. Robert Peston over there, not so much. He's, he's still figuring it out. Guys, I think we should wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it really means the world to me. I, I said this on the live stream um, the other night. I'm really, really appreciative of, of all of you sticking uh, around and downloading the podcast and tuning into the punk politics stuff and the alternative paper review. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling the love at the moment. Um, so, yeah. And just a quick shout out to, to all of the Patreons uh from whom like the, the support that you guys give me it really does it makes a difference i was able to buy um a new microphone like to do the punk politics stuff with um which i'm only i'm still playing with like i'm trying to work out how to get it to work right um but yeah it's like it's allowing me the patreon support and the youtube support uh is allowing me to sort of invest in more equipment and uh and you guys do that for me so i'm i'm really thankful um Anyway, so quickly, I'm, I'm going to run down the uh, the list of patrons now. Thank you so much once again to Rachel Harris, Bowman, Kai, Christy, David Voice, Martin Maracas, Mojo Sabian, Peter Del Monte, Pingu, Stuart, uh, T-Rex, Aaron, Aid, Alex Souter, Jeff McGow, MJ Nichols, Ned Berg, uh, Sarah Setters, Simon Flack, Elsa, Malcolm, Rodri and Kerry. Thank you so, so much, guys. Oh, and big shout out once again to Christine Cash, who joined on the YouTube community. Uh, big doff of the cap to you. And as I say, like DM me on something like add me, DM me or tag me on something and uh, I'll send you the Discord link. Um, if you're not on Patreon or the YouTube thing yet, now is a great time to do so because you get first look at the live show tickets. I'm going to be doing probably a few more live shows with Danny Price soon and they won't just be in London. They're going to be in and around the UK. So that's quite exciting uh you get access to the discord chat i'm doing london-based meetups for the time being although when we do the live shows like around the uk uh i might i might sort of put them out to the patreons as well um because if anyone is around that area i'm more than happy to go and like meet for a beer or something and, uh, and put faces to names uh, and all that so you get that um you get episodes of the podcast two days before everyone else so if you'd like your rants and musings and reactions to be topical then do jump on the patreon because you get the the podcast like straight off the bat two days before um and then ev eventually two days later they end up in final form on spotify apple and youtube um that's it from me thank you so so much i'll catch all of you on probably friday night with a guest until next time keep it booge stay hashtag influencer and i'm out this mother hubbard